We have been in a study in the book of Philippians, and, and we're going to finish that up tonight. So if, if you brought your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians. If you did not grab a study sheet, we have them on these little round tables uh, in the back. There's pens there as well. Help yourself um, to those. And, and uh, you know, as, as we get into this, we'll, you know, we'll be starting in Philippians chapter 4. So go ahead and turn there. Specifically, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 10 and then go through the, the end of the chapter. Um, man, this has been, I don't know about you, but it's been a great study for, for me personally. It's been, you know, a lot, of, a lot of different things that have really hit me exactly where I needed to be hit. And, and I'm hoping that you guys have been getting a lot out of it, not just, you know, in what you're learning, but I'm hoping you're, you're beginning to see opportunities in how to take actual steps to fulfill and, and, and to follow what it is that God's teaching you in this stuff. And so if, you, if you're just learning something new every week, and then you learn something new on Sunday that erases that, and then Tuesday you just overlap that, and, you know, if you never get to put it into application, if you never get to put it into practice, you know, what's the point in learning it? So that's my prayer for you guys, that, you know, we would be able to, to really take practical steps. Um, just a quick review over what we've seen in the whole book. You know, in chapter one, we saw the joy in suffering, right? Understanding the big picture of how God uses our suffering in our lives to move the message of the gospel forward, right? It's incredible that the terrible things he, that happen to us, that, you know, whether you're with God or without God or, you know, where, whatever your standing in life is, Life stinks sometimes, and terrible things come, and terrible things go, and good things come and go, and, and that's just the, you know, the ups and downs of life. But what God can do in our lives, for those, those of us following him, is he can take that and he can move the gospel forward through the suffering that we endure. Uh, chapter 2 was all about the joy in serving and having a, an attitude of a servant, an attitude like Christ's. Chapter 3 was... Kind of a warning of the dangers ahead. If, if we're willing to go all in with Christ, man, it might get a little bumpy, right? And, and if it gets a little bumpy, that's still the place you need to be, right? You, you need to be all in with Christ because that's where he's at. It's, it's a little bit dangerous. It's a little bit crazy, but, but he's there, so it's the best place you can be. Chapter 4, a couple of weeks ago, we, we started off. We saw how you know, we have access to being different right here and right now. Like, we read in Scripture about the new bodies we'll get one day at the rapture. It'll be an awesome thing. We won't have to be sick anymore. We won't have to struggle with sin anymore, all of those things. And, you know, we saw from Paul that, man, we have access to that stuff right now. Obviously, you know, we still have sickness. Obviously, we still have a weak body. But we have access, you know, to, to a life to where we can conquer sin. We can get victory on a consistent basis. And that's an awesome promise. And uh, the, the other things that we saw from chapter 4, you know, just were the, those further challenges to look at the right things we saw last week. What are, what are we focused on in our lives? You know, we focused on the fear and the anxiety and the things that, that you know, we can't control. Or are we focused on the things that are true and the things that are right and the things that the Lord has in front of us and, and you know, how we can access peace through that. And so tonight we're going to pick up in verse 10. It's kind of a two-part series. This is all very connected to what we covered last week. We went, actually went to verse 13 last week. We're going to backtrack a few verses because it, it's all kind of connected together. So let's go ahead and read in 
Philippians 4, verse 10 through 23. Um, well, before we do that, how many of you have ever heard from your parents, you know, one time or another, there's, there's a difference between needs and wants? You ever heard that? So just the other day, our, our resident animal lover of our home, if you know my kids, you know which one I'm talking about, our resident animal lover wanted to go see her friend's new kitten. And this was priority number one. This was a need, but this need was not fulfilled. And you would have thought that I had, you know, abused or neglected my poor child to the point to where life itself was about to end, right? Life was almost over. The world was coming to an end. I need to see my friend's kitten. This is the only thing that matters. Well, it's not happening. You know, meltdown city, life is terrible, all that stuff, right? (laughs) There's a difference between needs and wants, child, (laughs) There's a difference, and, and we've all heard that, and, you know, as you grow up, you start to realize when, when real-life responsibilities hit you, when, when the grades are solely upon you and not your parents to tell you over and over and over and over again, you need to study, you need to do your homework, you need to do your stuff, when it's you and it's, and it's all on you, when it's your job or your career, well, there becomes a difference between needs and wants, and we're going to see some of that here again as we get into to the, to the passage. So now let's go ahead and, and pick up in verse 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only." For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all, and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God... And our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he closes with this salutation. He says, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our our study notes. Lord, thank you uh, for this entire book. It's been an incredible letter to learn from. Uh, to get the perspective that Paul has toward ministry, toward serving others, toward looking at life through rejoicing. He looked at life through rejoicing in the good. He looked at it th- through the bad. He looked at it from prison. He rejoiced. And Lord, we need to be able to have that perspective. We need to know uh, that we have access to the same rejoicing. We should be rejoicing with what we know and who we are in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us once again to understand 
I pray that you change our hearts, help us to uh, understand how to take you know, practical steps from this stuff that we're going to learn tonight um, and put it into action in our lives. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so again, we covered verse, or up to verse 13 last week, so we're starting in 10. We backtracked a little bit, and we're not going to dwell on the first two points very long because they are somewhat review, but, but it helps us to build into the stuff that we need to see tonight. And, and as I'm reading this, it's interesting. You know, Paul starts off, and he says, you know, he, he mentions that, you know, he's excited. He's rejoicing that, that the Philippian believers are now giving to him again. He knows that they care, but for some reason, they weren't able to for a time. And then he says, not, not, not that I speak in respect of one. I don't need it. I'm okay. And then he talks again about how excited he is that they're providing for his needs again. And so it's, it's interesting how he, he kind of bounces back and forth. He says, you know, I'm excited about it, but I'm okay. But I'm excited about it, but I'm excited about it for a different reason, because I'm okay. You know, he bounces back and forth with his contentment, and, and his needs, and their opportunity to give. And it just made me think of uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And if you look at Genesis 44, 15, it's the first time we see this word deed. I think we all know what it means, but this gives us a very quick definition. What he, this is Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? So a deed is something you physically do. right? It's an action. He's saying in, in the previous verse, don't, don't just love in word. Don't just tell me that you love me. Show me. right? And, and so Paul's saying, you know, I'm, I'm excited that, that you're able to now love in deed, not just in word. I knew you loved me. I, I believed you but now I'm seeing it put into action again. And that's pretty cool. So the, the, first, the first point we have on our sheet is, is just loving in word. And we'll see loving indeed in just a moment. If we read that verse 10 again, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. So there was a period of time they were showing him his, their love, their affection for him by providing for him. And then he says, wherein you were also careful or full of care. I knew you cared for me, but you lacked opportunity. So letter A is careful. Paul recognizes that the church certainly did care. And the, the next passage I have there, I, I think, is messed up on your sheet and on the PowerPoint. Um, it should be 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. I think it says something different, doesn't it? Yeah, it's 5 through 9 or something. So 4 through 8, I'll just go ahead and read it. Some of it's up there. Charity suffereth long. Charity is, is love, right? Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never fails, and he goes on, uh, further talking about how it doesn't fail. Charity, if you look at all of the descriptions here, charity is an action word, right? You show charity. You don't just say it, right? It's not something that's just communicated in word. It's communicated in deed. James 2, verses 15 and 16 says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, 
And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Right? Well, dear brother, I'm glad you're here today. You look a little cold, you look a little hungry. I'm going to pray for you. Have a good night, right? When, when you've got an extra coat and you've got a meal, you could provide for them, right? Like that, that's the point is don't just say it, show it, right? And, and Paul says, look, I know you did. I know you loved me. And, and the second thing he said was that they lacked opportunity. And so while the church cared about him at this particular time, they were unable to, to show him. You know, maybe they didn't have anything to give. Maybe there was no way to deliver it. If you remember Epaphroditus, he was actually injured or sick. He got sick trying to deliver something from them to Paul, right? And so whatever the reason was, maybe it was just dangerous. Maybe the road was too rough, and they couldn't give for a while, and now they're able to give again, and so Paul's excited for them, and we'll see why in a little bit. 1 John five fourteen, maybe is a good solution. If, if you have a heart to, to give and to do and to serve, you just don't know what you should do, and you don't know what opportunities you have. Maybe you lack opportunity. First John 5.14 says, This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Right? And it goes on to say, look, if you've got God's ear, it's going to be because you're, you're talking according to his will, something that he's already excited about. You know he's already excited about you loving on people in word and deed, right? He know, you know he's, he's excited about you giving the gospel, sharing the gospel, having opportunities to love on people and share with them. Are you asking for it? Are you asking him for those opportunities? Are you looking for ways to, to do that, or do you lack opportunity and motivation, <laughs> right? Because they had the motivation. They just lacked opportunity for a time. So loving in word probably made Paul feel nice and warm and full inside his heart, but, but his skin might have still been a little bit cold and his belly might have been empty, right? Because he still had physical needs that were not supplied. And that's the second point is Paul's necessity. And again, we saw this last week, so we'll go quick here. Verses 11 through 13, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. No matter what my status is, hungry, poor, cold, you know, full, no matter what my status is, I'm fine, Paul says. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So through necessity, here's the awesome thing, through necessity Paul says that he's learned to be content. So needs and difficulties and necessities, those things are teaching lessons. Th- those things are for a purpose, and, and we, can, we can go through all of those things that, that are rough in life, and we can totally miss the point. We can just go through it and feel sorry for ourselves. When all along, God said, man, that could have taught you something. You could have learned how to be content, and you could have known a couple of things. And if we look at letter A, Notice the passage says he, he knows how to be abased. And that, that means, you know, to suffer need, right? He knows how. It's not that he can endure it. He knows how to deal with that. He understands. 
because of what he learned. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 6, and it's basically talking about taking no thought for our life, right? If you, if you need clothes for your body, if you need food for your body, he says, you know, look at, look at the birds. They, they don't have to work that hard. There's food available everywhere for them. Look at the flowers. Aren't they beautiful? They're clothed. They're taken care of. And then he goes and makes the point. Don't you think that God cares more about you than the flowers of the field? Don't you think that he cares more about you than the birds of the air, right? He, he cares more about us than those, and, and they're completely provided for. They're completely taken care of. He says in verse 29, Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. He knows you have those needs. And he goes on, he says in verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. He said, look, you don't need to worry about those things. He's got those things taken care of. You need to worry about what he's worried about. You need to concern yourself with what he's desiring you to follow. And, and all that stuff will be taken care of. Jesus, in this passage, Jesus describes our, our needs as food and clothing. You know, much to my child's chagrin, there's no visiting kittens on that list, right? <laughs> kittens are not a need. They're very important to some <laughs> on certain days. Other places in the scripture, you know, he, he had shelter to this list. But just focus on the Lord and, and realize that your needs are taken care of. He knows those things. He's got that. So for you, you to be all anxious about what you will and will not have and will you survive and, you know, maybe you won't have cable for a time. Maybe, you know, you'll, in, you'll be in such a bad situation where the electric goes off for a couple of days. But you'll eat, you'll have shelter, you'll have clothing, you'll have a body of Christ, the church, to help take care of you if you're in those, you know, that terrible of a situation. God will take care of you. So what Paul knew in knowing how to be a base, Paul knew how to be full of faith when life had him down. Paul says, the hard times have taught me something and now I know, I know for a fact that God's going to come through. I'm full of faith now. That's how I deal with being abased. And the second thing he knows is he knows how to abound. And we saw this again last week, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. So he had an abundance of, of knowledge, of doctrine and truth, and things that many people didn't know. God used Paul to teach most of them. right? And so he had an abundance of something. And so, knowing how to, be, how to abound, Paul says, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that's a fancy way of saying three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The proper way to abound is to continue to give credit where credit is due. Right? To, not, to not all of a sudden think that all of this wealth and abundance and you know, friendships and popularity and all of these things, all of these things came because I'm just so great. No, it's, it's humility. Isaiah 42, 8, this is a, a verse I just, you know, came across one day and was like, wow, that's, that's a great reminder. It's on a sticky note on my desk. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. That includes us, right? We'll get some credit, some glory from God. We'll get praise from him for choosing his son. But his glory and his name, he gets all of that. Right? He gets all of that. That's not, that's not mine. I don't get credit. He didn't give you abundance for you alone. Yes, he wants to take care of you. Yes, he wants you to know that you're, you're loved and you're cared for. But he gave it to you for his glory. So what Paul knew in, in being in abounding was how to be full of humility, right? Even when everything was going his way. What he knew when he was abased was how to be full of faith when life had him down, and when he was abounding, how to be full of humility even when everything was, was tracking the way he wanted it to. So Paul still had needs. He's rejoicing because the Philippians have been able to get past whatever their, their blockade was, keeping them from supplying him. And they had just gone from word to also loving indeed, And that's point three. Right? It's not just lip service. It's not just saying so. They, they're able to, to follow through now. And we see that in the first part of this. He says, notwithstanding, ye have well done. Right? That was the deed. They were, they were physically doing this thing. That ye did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when he first showed up to share the gospel with them, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my need. So Paul shows us two different ways, if you're, if you're catching it here in this passage, this portion, these two verses here, or three verses. The first thing is, is that the way that we, sh- that we love in deed, in action, is, is to communicate with somebody's affliction. Right? He says, notwithstanding that ye did communicate with my affliction. This is what you did well. 2 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. And one thing that I struggle with, I'm not a good listener. That's a terrible attribute as a pastor. Let me just tell you that. Just be honest. I got a lot of stuff going on. It's not, this is not excuses. This is just reasons I'm a bad listener. Uh, I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm scatterbrained. I, I jump from one topic to another in my head. And I just, I have trouble just pushing it all out. And, and just focusing. My, my wife is not here. She's at a, a choir concert tonight. If, if she was being honest, she would say, amen. That's, that's exactly right. He's a terrible listener. I'm working on it. I'm trying. 
One thing that you can't convince somebody of is that you care if you can't even listen. When my wife and I have a disagreement and, and I've thought about other things, what I've proved to her is I don't care about her point that she's trying to make. Even though I want to, I'm just scatterbrained and distracted. I'm a terrible listener. If she doesn't know that I have communicated with her affliction, if, if I haven't connected there, what good is that to her? Right? What good is that to somebody? If, hey, what's going on, man? If, if you ask people, how was your day, and it's just surface-level stuff, and they start giving you the goods <laughs> or, the, or the gore, whatever, whatever terrible things happen in their day, and you're like, oh, geez, I, I wish I hadn't said that out loud. You know, that's... <laughs> I just wanted you to, I just wanted you to say, oh, great, you know, oh, me too, good, good, you know. You ever have that happen? You know, I just, small talking, and here we, okay, we're going to have a real, real thing, huh? Let's let's do it. You've done that, or am I the only one that's done that? Man, if you can't communicate with their affliction, if you don't actually care, they're going to know it pretty quick, Right? How do you communicate with someone's affliction? Well, it starts with being a good listener. Right? And, and then, it, then it starts with you proving that you don't just have to have all the answers. Right? That's, that's something else I'm bad at. That, that makes you a bad listener when you've already got the answer prepared for when they shut up. Well, if you just shut up, I'd tell you what you need to hear. You just keep talking, right? That's what we think. I, I'm a jerk. People don't care, you've heard this saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. doesn't matter if you have all the answers. If you don't care about me, I don't want your answer. Even if it's the right answer. Most of the time with my wife, and this is good advice if some of you guys are listening, most of the time my wife doesn't even want a fix. She wants to know that her husband cares enough to recognize that whatever situation it was stinks, and that's good enough. She wants empathy. She wants sympathy. She wants somebody to recognize that, well, that was kind of unfair for you, babe. I'm sorry. And, and my answer is usually, well, if you would just properly analyze this and get everything <laughs> in the right category, I mean, clearly you would see that there's just really no situation here at all. You've connected all these dots, and these are all separate issues. Problem solved. Let's go to bed. Right? And then I just got a look, and I'm like, oh, what the? I just solved everything for your whole week. What is your problem? I didn't, I didn't communicate with her affliction. I didn't even care. Why do these conversations only start at 11 o'clock? That's the, that's the question. <laughs> People can see through your words. You might want to write this down. People can see through your words, but they can't look past your actions. Words are just empty without actions. They can see right through them, but they can't look around what you're doing for them. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You represent Christ. Tell them and show them that Jesus loves them too. Right? If, 
if you have an opportunity to love on somebody, you get a chance to be his proof that he loves them too. You could tell him, but that's just words. He put us here and he gave us his grace so that we could show them by putting them first, by putting his priorities first. The second thing that Paul says showed that they were loving indeed was that they communicated with his necessity. They communicated with his affliction, but they communicated with his necessity. They didn't just understand what he was going through and, and feel it. They did something about it, right? Romans 12, 9 through 13 says, let love be without dissimulation. That's hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Man, I'd be a better listener if, if I cared about others more than myself for once. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And he finishes with this, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. The end of that passage is, is what we need to focus on. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. What are you giving? What are you doing? Given to hospitality. Do you, do you care for others? Physical needs? Now, look, we've, we've got ministries here at the church that... You know, there are, you know, drug addiction recovery ministries. You have to be wise and careful about how much you distribute to somebody in that situation. But they do have needs, right? They may not be the same needs as, as somebody in, a, in another situation. That's why you've got you've to identify with them. You've got to communicate with those needs and then communicate with the necessity by providing what they actually need. Some of them need structure. Some of them need a lot of care. Some, some might need a couple of dollars. Some might need a, a, a ride to work. Some might need a ride to the well. Whatever it is, right? Do we communicate? Do we provide it? So as they supplied Paul's needs, he turned it back all around again to what they actually need. Right? Paul says, I've got these needs. You weren't fulfilling them. I was fine. I've learned to be content without. It taught me some things. But then you start supplying my needs, which is actually what you needed all along. <laughs> Paul's, he's got an interesting way of putting all this. Verse 17, he says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. You understand? Giving to the church, your, your tithe and offering, obviously, you know, it goes to, to you know, support all of the ministries that we do. It goes to, to pay the salary of us on staff. It goes to fund the building and make sure that we have enough you know, to pay our bills. It goes to the missionaries that we support. It goes to all of those things. You know what it also goes to? It goes to your account when you stand before the Lord. Amen. And that's a big deal. Paul says that's a big deal. I needed these things, but look, I was fine. You know, I can see another rib today. Whatever. God will provide tomorrow. What you need is fruit to your account. What you need is when you stand before the Lord, 
to be connected to the mission. He said, God is going to take care of me. This is basically, this is my own words. God is going to take care of me. If not, I'll be content without. If so, I want you to get credit for being the ones that God used. He's going to take care of me. It would be cool if he used you to take care of me. Because you'll get credit for it and I'll, I'll be taken care of. He goes on in verse 18, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Right? The, the account he's referring to is the eternal souls of men and women. And the, the account is when we stand before the Lord to give account of what we've done with the Spirit of God he's provided us and what we've done with the Word of God in front of us. Right? Paul knows that is our true need. When all is said and done, what are you going to care about that was painful and difficult in this world? When I stand before Christ, you know, I had shoulder surgery a couple of years ago. I don't think about it until a storm's coming. Now I got that trick shoulder, the old man shoulder thing going on. It starts aching, and I think about, ah, oh, stupid shoulder. That's the only time I think about it is when it bothers me. When we're in heaven, the worst suffering that you've ever had, and, and my comparison of a shoulder is lame, but the worst thing you ever suffered, you won't be feeling anymore. It's going to be gone. It's just a lesson for now to teach you some things. What's important, what's most important, is your account and what you're going to be judged for. Look at this list that Paul gives them. He's, he's basically asking, is, is God going to look at you and your life and your service to him this way? Are your sacrifices going to matter in eternity? Are they, first of all, an odor of sweet savor? That's a weird way to put it, right? Genesis 8, verse 20 to 22 is the first time we see this, this phrase. It says, Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground for any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart, and he goes on and, and, and makes this promise that he's not going to flood the earth again. What's happening here is Noah is getting off the boat. He doesn't have a whole lot to offer as far as clean animals, right? He's only got a, a small collection, and, and this is going to reproduce and, and replenish the earth. And Noah takes of the little bit that he has, and he offers it to God as a sacrifice and an offering to give thanks for what God has provided. And God says, that's something that I love. Something, if you're willing to give, and, and it's a sacrifice for you, and you're doing it because you love me, and you just want to say thanks, that, that smells good. <laughs> that's what God's saying. That smells good to me. 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. How? To the one we are savor of death unto death, the other savor unto life, or of life unto life. And who is sufficient for all these things? For we are 
not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God, we speak, or speak we Christ. We, are you sharing the gospel? He says, no matter what their reaction is, if they reject it and end up in eternal death and separation from God, still smells good to me because you did what I told you to do. You shared the gospel in Christ. Some of them aren't going to do that. They're not all going to reject it. It all smells good when, when you put yourself out there with the possibility of being rejected. That smells good to me. That, that's a worthy sacrifice, right? And that was the second thing that he said, a sacrifice acceptable. What sacrifice is God, God accepting? What is he looking for? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how is it a reasonable expectation that we be willing to give our lives as a living sacrifice to God? Well, what did Christ offer for me? How could, how could he ask for my whole life? Well, what did he give me? He gave me his whole life, right? What, what did you gain from his offer? He traded perfection for your sin and mine. You gained forgiveness and eternity. He's asking for your love now. That's, that's what love is, right? It's putting somebody else first. It's taking those action steps to prove that you're willing to sacrifice what's important to you for what's important to them. He says, man, that's a sacrifice acceptable. That's what God loves. And the third thing he says, well-pleasing to the Lord. Hebrews 13 says, but, do, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. 1 Corinthians 10.5 tells us something he's not well-pleased with. Those that were overthrown in the wilderness. If you know the Old Testament story of Israel, the reason they were overthrown in the wilderness was because they lacked faith. Right? They, they did not believe what God said. So if we're going to be well-pleasing to the Lord, then, man, we, we ought to just, we ought to believe what he said and take steps toward the direction he's pointing us because he said, that's the way I want you to go, and I'm going to take care of you, and it's going to work out. Well, it looks scary that way, Lord. Yep, it is. But I'm there. And I've already conquered those enemies you can see from a distance. Do you believe me or do you not? Israel said, no, I, I don't believe you, Lord. I mean, everything you said about this land is as you said it. Except for, you know, we, we believe that now because we see it, but, but there's giants in there and I don't, believe, I don't believe we can conquer them. Well, God said that too. Everything he said was true, yet they didn't believe the promise. 2 Peter 1.17 says, For he received... From God, the Father, honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And God obviously is well pleased in his own Son, but, but his Son made the ultimate sacrifice. 
And when we sacrifice for him, that also pleases the Lord. When we place our faith in what he says, that pleases the Lord. And the second thing that Paul desires for the church, his letter B there, is, is the riches of God. The riches of God in full supply of that church's needs, of our needs. And I only just put a couple of references here. There's, there's a ton of them. Just some of the things that we get as a guarantee from the riches of God. If, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he says you've got access to these. You've got some of this stuff automatically in your life. Romans 9.23 says that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. That's us. right? Which he had afore prepared unto glory. We, we get to be vessels of mercy. He get, he, what we deserved was punish, punishment for our sins. What we got was mercy. Amen. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace is, is how we were redeemed. It's how we were forgiven. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Whatever situation you're going through. We talked about you know, suffering from anxiety, suffering from you know, low self-esteem, all of those things. He says, look, if, if you would just focus on me, I will strengthen you in the inner man. You, you can be strengthened by his riches. And we'll wrap up here with a couple of verses. At the, the end of the chapter, he, he says, salute every saint, verses 21 to 23. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He's saying there's a difference. There's a difference between needs and wants, right? When Paul says, you know, you, you supplied my want, that was what he lacked, not, not just what he desired, okay? We use want a little differently today. We want like I said, to go visit kittens because, you know, that would be fun. It's not a need. Paul says what you need is God's grace in your life. Looking at the world around you can convince you that uh, there's a whole bunch of other different things that you need, right? If, if we look at the world the way the world looks at itself and everything out there, you know, they, they might say, you know, you, you have poor health. Well, you need you need to get healthy, right? While it's important and would certainly make a lot of things easier, what if you're like Paul and whatever it is you have won't go away? Do you, do you just get depressed then? Is, is that what controls you? Does that affect everything? I bet it does to some level. I bet it affects how you feel today. I bet it affects how you look at everything. But what do you actually need? Maybe you're, you, you got poor health. What, if, what about low wealth? We'll just rhyme for a while. What if you have you know, low finances? Well, the world's going to say you need, you need a better job. Well, you might. You need to demand that you get paid more. You need to go back to school. And those things might be helpful. And, and these might be things that, that you should do. 
How many of you have experienced a pay raise before? And, and you were thankful that day. How long did it take before you felt like you deserved or needed another one? I mean, it doesn't take long before you consume the difference. It just happens, right? And then you feel like you need it. But, you know, a month ago you were fine. Just not in your heart. You just weren't content. What do you actually need? Are you uncomfortable? The world tells you you need comfort. God's grace says, suffering now, comfort later. That's a hard saying. Are you unappreciated? The world tells you you should demand proper treatment. You need proper treatment. You deserve it. You're pretty great, unless you get in the way of my proper treatment. God's grace says he knows every intimate detail of your life. Every hair, every thought, every struggle, every tear. What do you actually need? You need recognition from this world? Are you unaccepted? The world says you should change who you are so that you can be accepted or so that you can accept yourself. That's what you need. God's grace says my son died for you when you were unacceptable. What do you need? When you were unacceptable, he accepted you anyway. Are you insecure? The world drives you to fear. Fear drives you to try to control every detail. God's grace says no one can ever take you from my grip. What are you afraid of? What do you need? The world has an everlasting, never-ending list of, of needs for you and for me. We only need one thing. We need God's grace in our life. 1 Corinthians 15.10, we've come to this verse several times this year. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't, I don't care what the world says I am. I don't care how I, what my body says I am. I don't care what my emotions say that I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Not only will I not waste it, he didn't, he didn't waste it on me. He cared about me. He did it on purpose. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. God supplies us out of his grace. Anything we have is because God has shown grace. God places his grace upon you, and God's grace works on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you that your grace recognized that, that we, in our sins, are unacceptable. That we, in our sinful nature, have turned against you. And Lord, in the... The result of that sin is, is certain death and separation from you for eternity, Lord. And man, that's, that is a scary truth. And we have friends and family that don't know that, that don't recognize that. And we need to tell them of your grace because your grace knew that we were separated and that we were helpless and you, you stepped in. You sent your son to die in our place, Lord. And you said all we've got to do is just believe that you did that and trust you 
Trust the name of Jesus as our Savior. Lord, I'm so thankful for that grace. So thankful for that gift that you didn't, you didn't ask me to come and clean up my life first and then you would accept me. You accepted your son and when I made him my Lord and Savior, you, you've accepted me. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful for your grace. I pray that you help us to, to see the difference between needs and wants. To see that what we need is to be connected to the gospel and getting it to others. And sometimes we need to do that by figuring out what people are struggling with and actually caring about it. And figuring out how we can get in and actually help and pick them up so that they can hear what you have to say. Lord, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your guidance. I'm thankful for when you take me aside and say, what are you doing? You're so selfish and self-focused and, and worried about your situation. There's so many people around us. Lord, there's so many people around us that need you and, and we need to speak up with, with our words and our, our actions. Lord, I love you. I pray that this next song is, is also a sweet savor in your ears. It's something that, that's well-pleasing to you, that's acceptable. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.